0: listening to the home of cool, irreverent and entertaining talk right here on LA Talk Radio. You're listening to The Art of Love with your host Lucia right here on LA Talk Radio.
1: And welcome to the Art of Love. My name is Lucia. I'm your host and a dating and relationship expert. And I'm here to entertain, educate, and enlighten you about love, dating, and relationships. Solve your dating dilemmas. Take your live calls. Answer your emails. And speak to authors of books, which I like and which I think will be helpful to you. And boy, do I have a book for you today. Oh boy, (laughs) you may not be the same after you listen to this interview, so you may not want to listen actually, (laughs) because you will become more enlightened, and once you're more enlightened, you can't go backwards. So the book is called Grant Me a Higher Love, which of course makes me think of the song uh, by Steve Winwood. Uh, What was his title? Give Me a Higher Love? Bring Me a Higher Love? Something like that. Anyways, okay, I have on the line Cindy Sansone Braff, author of Grant Me a Higher Love. Hey, Cindy. Hey, Cindy.
0: Hi, how are you today? Thanks for having me on your show.
1: Hey, it's great to be on. I know this is going to be a really interesting <laughs> interview because of your subject matter. So your um, website is com. same as the book. And, um, all right, let me mention a little bit about you, your, your bio, so everyone knows how wonderful you are. Um, you're an award-winning playwright. You have a Bachelor of Fine Arts from the University of Connecticut Professional entertainer, relationship coach, tarot card reader, and medium. With more than 15 years' experience, you lecture, teach workshops, and give private consultations throughout the U.S. and around the world. So Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great book, but it's a huge book. I mean, is it, is it bigger than War and Peace?
0: Yeah, I said, you know, I should sell it by the ounce. I get richer, <laughs> you know, it's quite heavy. It weighs two pounds. You know, next time I'm writing a one-pound book. You know, we you have to sweat these around, you know, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, But it's... <laughs> it is a bible of relationships it's more than a book you know what I mean and I tried to put everything you might need to know that could derail you in your relationships you know sometimes we might not experience jealousy with one person but with our next mate we might so you know there's things that you might need at different stages of your life so I made sure the book is pretty thorough if you're having a problem in your relationship the answer should be in there
1: yeah absolutely so how did you come to write this book
0: Well, I think I was pretty much born to do this. Um, I've always had this sort of writer mindset in which I was living life but sort of stepped a little bit above it. I would be observing everything that was going on around me and, you know, I was born in the 50s and sort of the shadow of World War II and there were a lot of shell-shocked fathers and marriages that weren't really very good and I couldn't understand why grown-ups get to be mean to each other. That's pretty much what I thought. Mm -hmm. They get away with that, you know, saying mean things, doing mean things. And there was this one couple who were, you know, maybe in their 30s, and they what they had was a different animal than the rest of the people. They were actually nice to each other. She looked forward to him coming home. They loved each other. There was a warmth, something that looked different. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what that is, and maybe someday I'll find out. So my whole life is sort of observing relationships. And, you know, I've had, you know, every conceivable relationship of my own, so mm-hmm. the universe definitely gave me my own arena in which to figure this out as well.
1: Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. So now you wrote that you became, uh, that by becoming enlightened, it was a life-altering experience. So what does it feel like to be
0: enlightened? So, you know, it's funny because I hadn't talked to God in more than 20 years when this happened. I was uh-huh. about 41, and really, a spiritual crisis is what our midlife crisis is. We start to wake up one day and say, there's more to life than this. And I had a 15-year-old at the time who was pretty rebellious, as American children can be. Mm-hmm. And one day I told her, you know, Shani, you have to get up for school today. And she just like perked up from her bed for a second, looked at me, you know, dead on and said, why mommy so i could do everything perfect look perfect work hard do everything right and grow up to hate my you know life the way you do i don't think think so i don't think so and i really wanted to say you know move over in that bed um you know in there with you and i realized what am i teaching my child dear god what am i teaching her and me who hadn't spoken to god in 20 years, but I was also having massive stage fright, and I was an entertainer, and I did about 500 shows a year, children's entertainment. I've been a belly dancer, a Hawaiian oh, dancer, wow. so cool. doing 500 different shows a year. Um, I couldn't afford to have stage fright, and so I would say before each show, dear God, help me, and one day I just said, God, I need a miracle in my life, and almost instantly came this feeling of enlightenment, and it was sort of and experience that. I began to see the world through different eyes, that it was all good. And I, I pretty much said to God, why are you picking me? I'm not going to be Mother Teresa. And God said, I'm not asking you to be Mother Teresa. I'm asking you to be you. Who did Jesus pick as the disciples? He picked hardworking people. People who would get the job done. They weren't the rabbis. They weren't the spiritual people. They were just people who would pray one minute and curse the next. You'll do the job. Just be you. And so, it began began this 15-year journey to finding out who I was and very much every step of the way divinely guided, and it's been quite an experience.
1: Wow. And so what does it feel like to be enlightened,
2: finally?
0: (laughs) I think it feels like you're still pretty very much human. You're never going to, you know, I'm going to freeze to death out there in the cold without a coat on and I'm going to starve without food, you know. Right, <laughs> I mean, right. You, you're never so far above the human animal that, and, you know, you, I could see how unenlightened I can be sometimes when, you know, when I have financial struggles, of course, and I'll say, God, why am I still struggling so much about this? and God will say, A, you'd write a check for everybody and fix it all, and I can't have you fixing everybody's mess. You can't write checks for every person who's having trouble. Right. And, two, you just need to have the slightest feeling that, that your money is threatened, and ye have little faith. I need you to understand you're hardworking, stop worrying so much. And so God still will test me all along, mm-hmm. and I think it just feels like when a situation is bad, I kind of tell you, what, what lesson do you want me to learn in this? What have I not learned? What am I not seeing correctly? And please show it to me. And you sort of have these angels and guides who every day say to me things like this. You judged somebody today. And I'll go, no, I don't think I did. And they'll go, we want you review your entire day. And all of a sudden I'll say, yeah, I really did. And they just point out things every day. And what enlightened being is, is someone who knows the right way to behave. Mm-hmm. I don't, 90% of the time I say I do behave correctly, I still have my 10%. Mm-hmm. And I'll just know that it's not the right way to behave. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And I'll try, and I will try not to do it again. So I think all of us who are old souls, and most of us walking the earth right now are, are being asked to walk that path of enlightenment. It isn't easy, but it sure is a better world if we can all just start to see other people's viewpoint, and you know, not be the one who's in judge and jury, and be a little bit more tolerant and forgiving. It's a wonderful thing.
1: Right, I know. I think we know what the right thing to do is we just don't want want to. It's just easier to not do the right thing most of the time.
0: And because most of the world is reinforcing, like, revenge or vengeance, which goes back to ancient Greece as a playwright. You know, all the ancient Greek plays were about vengeance and seeking vengeance. Mm -hmm. And if you watch television now, so much of it is being vengeful. And, you know, the shows that are forgiving are so wonderful to watch, but we have to move away from thinking we have to seek vengeance. You know, leave it in the hands of karma and go in peace. We have to stop thinking we can change somebody. You know, you, we can't. We can't rescue people. That's not our job to rescue. You know, stop with the You're going to fix somebody. You're going to change somebody. It's not going to happen. And so all of these things are lessons that we have to learn. And the sooner we learn them, the better.
1: I, I agree. All right. So let's get to what I believe is the heart and soul of the book. And that is, what is the difference between a soulmate, a cellmate, which I had never heard that term before, and a razor's edge relationship.
0: Okay, basically what was channeled to me is love is like a ladder, and oddly enough, this is not a new concept. I was guided to read Plato's Symposium when I wrote the book, and I realized that, and I said, God, this is hard, you know, um, this is hard to read, And, (laughs) and I got really like nervous having to read this, and Um, I heard my angels chuckle and go, what does symposium mean? I said, I don't have a clue. And they go, look it up. Well, it means a drinking party. And I heard the voice of Plato say, you need to have two glasses of wine and then read this. We were drunk when we were writing this stuff. So why don't you just get a little relaxed and read it? So I began to realize that the Greeks classified love into two categories, heavenly and common. Heavenly was the kind of love that makes us, brings out the best in us and makes our soul soar and brings us in touch with all the collective soul of humankind. We begin to create art and poetry and music. And then common love, which is the love we see around us, which is pretty mediocre. So they've already had two categories. I just went a third one. So what it is, is cellmate is the bottom end of the ladder of love. And there's actually several different rungs of cellmate. The most toxic of all is what makes the front cover of newspapers and makes for, you know, movie of the week. It's where, you know, he kills her or stalks her or she does something crazy. It's really toxic love. It's angry love. It's based on you know sometimes a nice person gets involved with a toxic person because they think they're going to rescue that person so a nice person sometimes does get involved with cellmate love but it is angry and it brings out the worst in us and it usually ends in a courtroom a jail a morgue or an emergency mm-hmm. room mm-hmm. at best so you know that that's the very bottom rung the second rung of cellmates is a little bit better it's it's the tommy lee pamela anderson where you know one day you know he's Smacking her around, and she has them arrested. The next day, they're back together. It mm-hmm. Doesn't usually end quite as tragically as the first rung, but it's not so great either. Then the a rung above it, the third rung, is what I call interchangeable love or Donald Trump syndrome. <laughs> it's you know, it's all based on you know superficial things, the way somebody looks, how much money they have, you know, their power, you know, and it's really the kinds of things that rise and fall, and so if you're really looking for, you know, this sort of interchangeable love, if it doesn't work out, you know, two minutes you've replaced them with someone a prettier, younger, better model or a richer, you know, more powerful model. And any of those relationships can get really toxic all the way down at at the end of it, you know, because we still have this misconception that we have to hate someone to leave them. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the misconceptions I try to say. No, you don't have to hate somebody. Not serving your higher good get out of it. And so as you move up into like the fourth and fifth wrongs, those are the old archetypes of marriage that I call razor's edge mates. It's sometimes I love you and sometimes I hate you. We're sort of walking that razor's edge between love and hate. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to watch Everybody Loves Raymond, did you ever see that show yeah. with, um, we have got Marie and Frank Barone. They're, they're the oldest archetype of marriage. It's really taking each other for granted. They don't like each other. They barely talk. They're very juvenile. They say mean things. They never grow up. And you, Deborah and Raymond are just a notch above them. They're a little bit better, but not much, because Deborah's still calling Raymond an idiot all the time. And so those raises edge mates don't ask for us to heal issues, nor dispel mates. We can stay angry, we can stay mean, we you know, we can say nasty things, we can cheat on our mate, because we're really not committed, heart, soul, mind, and body to it. And we'll say, well, I'm cheating on her because she was mean to me today, so I can get even with her. So those are the lower ends. And a lot of marriages have just been this sort of sitcom marriage. And soulmates, on the other hand, are the upper rungs on the ladder of love. And it's healthy and healing. It brings out the best in us. It's loving someone and committing to them with our entire heart, soul, mind, and body. And it can be pretty scary because soulmate love demands that we heal our issues. God gives us these safe arms to hold us so that we can heal some of our deepest, darkest things. And that's why people run from it. Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll say, well, I was fine till so You came into uh-huh. my life. No, you weren't fine. Well. You, you know, you had a bandana on a carcinoma. You weren't <laughs> fine, you know. And now you're going to have to do the real job of healing. So people will sometimes run from a higher love because it does demand us to overcome not only our personal fears but our larger transpersonal fears. And that's a big word, but it really just means we all come with fears that are that are inborn to all human beings, and those are the fear of rejection, the fear of abandonment. If you love someone so completely, and this person is not usually going to walk out on you, but they could die on us, that's what our energy bodies remember, loving so much and someone dying, or if in this lifetime we've loved a parent or a child or, any, or a friend and they've died on us, we remember how, how much that hurts. So we've really got to overcome our fear of abandonment via death. And the reason that I call myself the Romance Whisperer is to prove that love is an energy that can't be created nor can it be destroyed. And if we love a soulmate the best that we can, heart, soul, mind, and body, they will find a way to commune with us telepathically, and they will bring us another soulmate if that's what we need to help us on our Earth mission. So loving the best we can is never wrong. And the bottom rungs of soulmates, they have an unconscious contract that says, No matter what you do or I do, we never abandon each other. And that's what's really the horrible part of that. You can be really abusive and you're supposed to stick around. Only when one of the mates begins to heal does that contract finally be broken. And so we've got to stop doing these unconscious contracts between people that keep us trapped. And, you know, what we have to learn is no more excuses you're being abusive Over the age of 25, God doesn't care who your mommy or daddy was, who did what, to whom, when, or how or where. Knock it off, get over it, and heal. And as old souls, we we make too many excuses. We allow people to be abusive. We say, well, he had a hard life, so I let him do this to me. No, it's not okay. And those are the kinds of things that I'm just trying to point out that have been passed down from generation to generation. Mm Mm-hmm. And the dead people want to come through. They come through to say, I taught dysfunction. And I'm here watching all the pain that my lousy marriage taught. Mm -hmm. How, you know, we always have to repeat the marriages that we saw before the age of five. And they come through to say, Can you do better than we did so your children and your children's children can have a happy marriage?
1: Right. Uh, Now, let me play devil's advocate here for a minute about something that you had said. That, you know, people, they say they were happy before love came in the picture. But then, you know, all of a sudden love comes in and they've got all this anxiety and this panic. And, um, you know, I mean, I mean, like speaking for myself, I mean, I'm single right now. I'm not in a relationship and I'm happy, (laughs) you know, I'm dancing and singing at home alone, whatever. And then it seems um, when, quote unquote, love walks in the door, suddenly I'm not so happy. So it's like, well, maybe I should just be alone.
0: Well, you know what? I need to tell you that's a brilliant, two brilliant statements there. Okay. One is that first and foremost, women particularly, have to learn to stand on their own two feet before the prince comes. By that, I mean historically women have not been able to support themselves, so they've had to run what's called a prostitute archetype. Mm-hmm. They had to stay with men for money. Mm-hmm. And men historically were abusive. They, they cheated if they wanted to. They did whatever they wanted. Women had to just take it. Well, now we're the first generations of women asked to support ourselves so that we don't stay with a man unless we love him heart, soul, mind, and body. There's a little reversal of roles going on now. The men are becoming American gigolos in many ways. The women are supporting men. Mm-hmm. That's not the right thing either. Two people have to be able to support themselves and then come together. So you, going through a period of standing on your own two feet is very important. It's also erasing something that's inborn in women's collective unconscious, inborn into all of us that women, is this. Any man, deaf, dumb, blind, lame, or stupid, is better than standing on our own two feet. We have to erase that. Mm -hmm. No, it's better for us to stand on our own two feet than to have a man who's not pulling his share. And we're also asked to overcome the master-slave archetype, where men were the bosses over women and women were the slaves. And so if we haven't been able to overcome that sometimes we're just better off to stand on our own two feet and we also don't want to be mommy to a boy that's another master slave archetype lots of times we find ourselves being mommy to boys Mm -hmm. the drug addicts are alcoholics and we're mommy or a man suddenly has become our boss so the first step to a higher love is being able to stand on your own two feet to be your own lover to take care of yourself to heal yourself and to know yourself and then the higher love can walk in because I'll tell you why the first that you know just because we 're given a soulmate Lucia, it doesn 't mean it 's going to stay that way mm-hmm. if we get a then that's why if we get a soulmate and we don 't heal our issues we don 't learn to say what we mean, mean what we say without being mean about it. we drag the love down usually to mediocre, sometimes to toxic that 's why so much love looks like mediocre you know these Soulmates bring it down to mediocre or some of our friends, you know, they they need a man to fit a plan. They want to be married in three years and they want to have a baby. So they find a man to fit the plan and that's usually sitcom mediocre love. Mm -hmm. And cellmates who fight for 10 years can't fight anymore and they bring the love up to mediocre. So that's why so much looks mediocre. Mm -hmm. It didn't all start out that way. So just because you're given a soulmate and you don't work on it, pretty soon it becomes not a good love affair. But what becomes a danger is if you become feeling that you're t- you're peaceful all by yourself, which is a great thing, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not true peace because we've all had lifetimes in which we've been monks or, or lived in a monastery, and we've had these lives in which we felt we were so enlightened because we didn't have to scratch a living out of the earth, and we know how hard that is to make a living. Two, we didn't have to have a mate. We didn't have to have a husband or a wife. Mm-hmm. And, boy, that can sometimes be, or raise children. And so we thought we were enlightened being, hanging around with other enlightened beings, and God said, no, it's not true peace. True peace comes when we can be intimate with that sort of Adam and Eve relationship. So it is something, when we are in a relationship, any intimate relationship, some unhealed issues will surface. And um, a lot of the generation that's between the age of 20, my daughter's 29, Mm -hmm. the generation between 20 and 49 are starting to think, they're better off alone. Yeah. And we have so much distractions. You know, we can watch a million movies. Uh-huh. We can put in, you know, iPods in our ears. We can text message all day and email and be on a computer. It gives us the illusion that we're not alone. Right. And that's a lot of distraction. So after a period of a year or two or five years probably is the maximum. It's time to start saying, I'm ready for love, but I don't want the animal had before. I don't want toxic. I don't want mediocre. And that's when you ask the universe to bring me a soul mate. And love always comes from God. And as soon as you say that, your angels, your guides, and those ancestors who have passed away are able to gift you with this soulmate, and they will. But it is waiting for soulmate love and not taking just mediocre. Mm.
1: Okay. And will we recognize our soulmate when we meet him or
2: her?
0: Yes. There is what's called a recognition factor all of us are part of a group soul, a larger group soul. I do believe, Lucia, that you're part of my group soul or you would not have asked me to be part okay. of your show. <laughs> and so all of us are linked somehow and you did explain to me that you're Italian and I'm half Italian and right. the Italian relatives up there are just making me talk to the <laughs> Italian relatives because I'll tell you why. My grandparents two generations back had an arranged marriage, yeah. just two generations back. That taught a lot of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And when my parents were able to, my father was able to choose his bride, he didn't really know how to make that better than mediocre, okay? Yeah. And so here we are, we're going, so our, we all have a recognition factor. I believe, you know, we're, we're going to see our soulmate, we're going to say, somehow this person seems familiar to me. He or she has probably been with us in another lifetime. Rarely will we will meet an entirely new soulmate, and that will still be part of our soul group. And this person would have learned similar lessons to us. We'll have this feeling when we're sitting with them, boy, you're a lot like me. Boy, you went through a lot of the same stuff I did to get to where you are. And it has this feeling of being comfortable with each other. It's a feeling of being comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that you've always known each other. We recognize it as children. You know how you meet a friend in school and you go, "Man, that's met this great kid today. We're like best friends. Yeah. You know, we. we and it, a soulmate is the kind of a person our friend that we don't see for 20 years and we just run into them and you could talk as if no time had passed. Mm -hmm. It's a very similar experience for that and it does tend to bring out the best in us. Suddenly we discover things about ourselves we really didn't even know because this person is bringing them out and we're bringing out in that person. So, You will have a recognition factor, a light bulb that goes off and goes, pay attention, also, it will usually have been forewarned to you, mm. either in a psychic reading, a dream. Or we watch a movie and we say, oh, my God, that's going to happen to me. Or we read a novel and we oh. go, oh, my God, that's me. So there will be that recognition factor, and it's a very strong. And, and the universe is just saying, pay attention. You know, it, it's, you know so,
1: it's so funny that we're doing this interview today, because yesterday I met this woman for the first time and I barely know her, and she says to me, I see you as being happily married in a year and a half. And I'm like, me? That's what it talks about. And I'm like, me?
0: <laughs> and she goes, And that's exactly what's happened. And the fact that you invited me here, because I'm such an expert at soulmates, your angels and guides are already saying, we want you to recognize you're just holding back because you want a soulmate love. Ah. And you maybe didn't have these words, and maybe you didn't think it all the way through, but now that I'm pointing out the pattern, it will start to go into your body and one day you're gonna wake up and say, I'm ready and he'll be here the next day. I mean I manifested my soulmate by saying, I've had enough of a man who can't commit. I need a soulmate who's gonna to commit to me and I said, Let him be a writer like me, let him be fun and easygoing and a person who's probably been married already, but but liked being married and and, you know, I listed all these things, and and the very next day, I was supposed to go to a party, and I was kind of tired, and I wasn't going to go, and my angels and guides said, Cindy, if you had to go to work, you'd get dressed and go, you know, uh-huh. could you please put on a pretty dress and makeup and go out? I wasn't at this party five minutes when my friends introduced me to this writer and this person, and within 10 minutes of talking, he said to me the words that I had just said to the universe the day before. He said... You're a keeper, and I'm ready to put my two feet into this relationship and make it work. Oh, my God. And I thought he had mirrored back the word that I said. He was a writer. He had been married and all the things. And if I hadn't just thought about that the day before, I don't think I would have recognized quite as easily. So what you can do, Lucia, and your listeners can do is write down what your ideal soulmate would be and be very greedy about this. You want it to be someone who will help you with your career. And, you know, my soulmate definitely helps me. He's a journalist, and he helps me every day with publicity and whatever. Uh And, you know, you want somebody who helps you and who's your best friend and someone who will make love to you and and be passionate. You know, you want that passion without drama. You want somebody who's easygoing. Please, you want easygoing. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, start listing the specific things so that when he comes, you'll say, oh, my God, you'll be able to check off that list. (laughs) Here he is. And and that's how it works, and love always comes from God, and that's an important concept to understand, that love always comes from God, so that when people are in marriages that are less than heart, soul, mind, body, less than soulmate love, that have become nothing but a business arrangement, mm-hmm. and suddenly that person finds himself in love with someone else, and I'll say, well, to God, the affair is not the, the what you would think is the affair. It's the marriage. That's not a real marriage to God. God would not bring love if you were happily married. And what he's trying to do is say, get out of this marriage, terminate this business arrangement that's showing your children toxic love. It's showing them mediocre love. And in essence, it's teaching war. Because cellmates teach war. They have an outright war going on. Mediocre love teaches cold war. <laughs> your children understand the hostility behind you know, what you might not be saying. And God's saying, terminate this marriage in a kind and of fair way if you can't fix it you should always try to fix it but sometimes it can't be fixed it wasn't right in the beginning can't be right now terminate it there and go to your soulmate and show your children what soulmate love looks like by all means be soulmate friend to your to your ex-partner to your ex you know spouse you can do it i mean i am soulmate friends with my ex-husband
2: mm-hmm.
0: it can be done sure of course and and that begins to show because the hand of divorce is God saying, "I am not going to have a World War III in forty years." And if we don't stop teaching war, it's going to go on and on and on. So my mission is really one of world peace, but it just starts with one relationship at a time. Right. Making peace in your home so there's peace in the world.
1: Absolutely and also from reading your book because you talk about uh, ending relation relationships in a karmically correct way and so after i read that <laughs> i sent an email to someone that i broke up with about a year and a half ago uh... because i didn't end it correctly i was very mean about it i just like walked away and never spoke to him again and um, so because of reading your book you know i i i uh, did the right thing so what is the correct way to end a relationship okay
0: that is exactly what you need to know Co- karmically correct manner is, if you have a business arrangement like a marriage, you have to be fair and just with, with dividing the money. Okay, um, you also have to be kind. You don't have to hate somebody to leave them. You have to treat the person with respect, particularly if they're children. You know, if they're the mother or father of your child, you have to. Tr- and, and if your mate won't do this, if they want to be mean and ugly, you're only responsible for your behavior. That's the main tenet in my book. You are only responsible for your behavior. If your mate's cursing and screaming at you, that doesn't give you a carte blanche to do it or a license to do it back. You just can walk away and you watch your words very carefully. Mm -hmm. And it does demand that we don't just walk away without saying why. We give it closure. And I'll tell you why. If we leave an an angry note, we Mm -hmm. hate that person, we leave angry. You're going to, by grant me a higher love, we earn the level of love we deserve. So if you end it on a toxic note, the next relationship is going to begin on a toxic note. God is only going to bring you a soulmate. You end it in a soulmate fashion, you will be given a soulmate. Oh. If, you, if, you, if you end it in a soulmate fashion, which means you're as kind as you can, you're as fair as you can, you're not looking to hurt, you're not looking to lash out, you will have earned a soulmate love. So the way we end a relationship is the way the next one shall begin. Wow. So that's why when you now did what was karmically correct, give it closure, Um, Commitment phobics are the worst of all. Commitment phobia is one of the big topics in my book. A commitment phobic will end a relationship at the moment it's at its height. It's at its best. They'll run from a higher love because they don't want to heal. And if you don't take this personally because they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting a higher love, and it's very hard not to take it personally, but a commitment phobic will end a relationship on a dime not look back, not even call you or speak. And that is the most devastating experience that's happened to me. And let me tell you, that's why I wrote my book. I said, this is really bad. Mm -hmm. Why did this person run? Why am I terrified to even contact this person? And what is it I need to learn? And when someone leaves in the height of of romance and love, it is a devastation. I call it a sacred betrayal. Mm -hmm. But there are many lessons in that. In that ending, that's when we're hanging on that cross, like Jesus, you know <laughs> Judas or Peter betrayed Jesus. It yeah. was a sacred betrayal. You hang from that cross for a while until you learn those lessons and one of the and the main lesson that I learned was he didn't reject me, he rejected the higher love that I had to offer, and perhaps it was the kind of thing he could do because he would have dragged that love right down the ladder of love, from soulmate to toxic, and maybe it was better off he left before he did that, and so I try to see it through his eyes as well as my own. But I would be damned if anyone else was going to suffer as much as I did. Mm-hmm. There has to be some reason for suffering. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, actually, speaking about the ending of relationships, because um, something recently ended for me, the other person ended it, and um, you, know, you talk about messages from the universe, and do you know that song by Justin Timberlake, What Goes Around Comes Around?
0: Absolutely. Of
1: course. So I had only heard like once or twice before in my life. So suddenly I heard that song three times in 10 days. So I'm wow. like, something's up here. You know, there's no, why am I keep hearing the song? And on top of that, in that 10 days, I dreamt of Justin Timberlake twice.
0: Wow. So
1: what I mean, so I well, was trying to.
0: songs are, are definitely messages from the angels. Songs yeah. are definitely messages from the angels.
1: And I was trying to figure out, okay, are they saying to me, okay, because, you know, I've walked away or I've uh, ended so many relationships that I barely know what it's like to, for someone else to end the relationship on me that now I'm experiencing it? Or are they saying, don't worry, he broke up, uh, he broke up with you, or so what goes around comes around, someone's going to break up with him. Is like, I wasn't sure what the message was. Okay,
0: it was right, yes, in the laws of karma, you would have to get back what you gave, yes, but it's also now leave the rest in the hands of karma and go in peace Ah, don't try to punish him don't try to find out what his lessons were you know you can find out really if you wanted to but pretty much he will learn you have learned and it's really what we reap is what we sow and so now you know In your endings of relationships, and not all relationships are meant to last forever, so we're going to have endings. Some soulmates could be perfect. I've had a relationship that was perfect for five years, but it was, but it was, you know, relationships do work in five-year cycles normally. And at the end of that five-year cycle, it was time to end it, and we ended it in kind and a fair and just way. And it does not subtract from the fact that that was, I I think it was a perfect relationship for those five years. And so if we can start realizing sometimes we're going to be the one whose soul is going to feel a need to move on, sometimes the other person's soul is going to have a need to move on. And let's honor that souls will tell us, guide us in and out of relationships. And that, you know, it always hurts to to end a relationship at some level, but we can make the partings much less important. So if you could just learn... not if. If you have to end a relationship, you're going to be as kind and fair about it as you can. (laughs) I'll be nicer. And if someone does it to you, you're going to bless them and let them go. Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So that was interesting. Um, Now, you also say not to question the package that love comes in. Oh, that's the hard one. Okay, that's why I'm asking
0: you about it. (laughs) That's the hard one. In other words, soulmates, particularly in this new millennium, are going to look like the odd couple. And a movie that perfectly (laughs) pointed this in the 70s was Harold and Maud. Do you remember that movie? Uh, No. Harold and Maud. Okay, you should see it. Maud is like 80 years old, and Harold is like 18. And Harold wants to kill himself. (laughs) And And Maud and Harold have a love affair. And Maud teaches him how to live. Wow. And then she ends up, you know, killing herself at the end, which is the only part I didn't like about the movie, but in point blank, she knew she wasn't supposed to be with him forever. But she gave him how to love life. And so you're going to sometimes have, soulmates. you're going to have a big age difference, anywhere from 10 to 20 or more years. It could be a racial difference. It could be a religious difference. You know, it could be um, a lesbian couple, a homosexual couple. It isn't going to look like traditionally it was like the perfect tribal package. You know, Italians, Italians married Italians, Jews mm-hmm. married Jews. Right, it's right. going to look different. And it's yeah. going to rock the tribe. You know, the tribe isn't going to be happy about it necessarily. <laughs> well, you know,
1: it's, it's funny that you so, mention it because I don't know that, you, if, that I specialize in cougar relationships. So I, I'm an advocate for older women dating younger men. And so many people are against it.
0: And you know what? That's how I learned it. Mine was a cougar, and I was much older than him, and I realized that um, he couldn't come to the plate on this issue, okay, uh-huh. although we were very high soulmates, uh-huh. and I think maybe he could never get to not questioning the package, and God was pretty kind to him, because you know, I'm 56, but most people we'll never think that we look more than 40, and he's 40, so to look at us on the surface, you're not even going to see it, uh-huh. you know what I mean? And it wasn't like I look like Harold, you know, like more than he Harold. Right, right, right. <laughs> but question not to question the package that's how i learned it you know or if someone is disabled or whatever thing might seem like a daunting obstacle you know soulmates are going to have some obstacles it's the easy sitcom marriage that we go into that's why you know it is the tribal thing it's the right age sex whatever you know type Mm -hmm. but we get into those easy rather than a soulmate love you might have to think about it my god there's an age difference oh my god there is you know a religious difference there may be some obstacles until you get to the point where you realize only love matters to God only love matters and if you can get to that point as a cougar and make it work that's wonderful I mean that's what Demi Moore has proven she let them all laugh at her and you know and now they're not laughing anymore, are they? No, they're still together. They're looking at them as a great couple, right? Absolutely. But at first, you know, they, every you know late-night television show was making fun of, you know, Ashton Krishner and her. Do you remember that? Yeah, of course. And she was one of the people that had the courage to sort of move forward with that and make it happen.
1: Yeah, I always say that she kicked off the cougar revolution.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, that's, you know, sometimes if if... It happens, and this is who your soulmate is. Is so much younger than you, or even older than you. You know, you may find he might be twenty years older than you, and maybe that's going to be a kick in your cougar butt. You know that he's he's twenty years older than you. There's
1: no way I'm marrying someone twenty years
0: (laughs) old. I never say never. Never. And that's like okay, shoot me now. (laughs) But again, it might be something that you will find to be different, you know. So don't question the package. (laughs) If your ideal soulmate is younger than you, then please put it in there. But if it's not, it's because God's saying only souls matter. You're registering something deep in the soul, and a soul is immortal. The heart's a perennial child. And, you know, those are the things that that never, you know, age.
1: Now, what if someone loves you, but you're not as sexually attracted to them? Are you supposed to give them a well, chance? Well, that's not going to
0: work for long. Okay. Because, remember, I said it has to be heart, soul, mind, and body. Right. And, you know, I have clients who come to me, and they're going to marry, you know, a guy, and they're going, I love him, I'll ask him do you and, and everybody should always ask your friends who are getting married, do you love him with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body? Okay. And i say, she'll say, I love him with my heart, my soul, my mind, but I don't love him with my body. I said, well, you'll be cheating on him. And she'll go, I already am. <laughs> and I'll go, are you going to walk down the aisle next week? I don't think so. Mm. because if you're not sexually attracted or sexually satisfied, one year, one month, five years, ten years, twenty years down the line, you're going to cheat because we're an animal. We have animal needs, and you cannot deny the animal part of us, and that part needs to be fulfilled. And, you know, I would say if you don't have that chemistry, you're not meant to marry that person or to stay with them long term. It just isn't going to work. Right. Because okay, sexuality, and hopefully it'll become more sacred and more special as time goes on, is a glue that holds a couple together.
1: Absolutely,
0: it, it is something that you know you might say, "Oh God, I'm about to walk out of this relationship," and that person comes and gives you a kiss, kiss and makes love to, you, and you go, "No, I'm staying." <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ends of argument, right. you know, it, it, it's something really, really special and deep there. So. You know, don't negate any of it, you know. And if you don't love the person's mind, you don't love, you know, you don't love the way they think, you don't love their values. That's one thing. Love is not a compromise. And if we're with a man and we think that he's unethical or his business practices are unethical and we're an ethical person, it isn't going to work either. You can't compromise on your core values for a person. You can't. Right. So those are things that I don't think we've been, you know, I don't think, you know, anybody taught us much about love. Mm -mm. It's love. You love the person, right? Yeah, Yeah. you love them, so marry him. (laughs) Nobody told you that, that not all love is created equal. And, you know, in teaching this and just showing these patterns, suddenly people are able to see what they're doing wrong, and they can actually correct it and stop a pattern.
1: hmm I, I totally agree. Um, and thank God you wrote the book to tell us that. <laughs> now- because it,
0: it really is very, you know, and once people learn it, it really is simple. And you know what, Well, you'll have a vocabulary for your girlfriends to say, okay, so you want to stay with him, he's a cellmate. Okay, you want to go toxic? We, it's going to end in a courtroom jail, an emergency room. When are you going to get out of it? You know, oh, so you're going to have a sitcom marriage, huh? You want to be Marie and Frank Barone? Okay, go for it then. You'll be able to just say it almost in a funny way and people say, oh, man, yeah, she's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So now you also uh, say that relationships are mirrors of ourself. But like, how does this work? Because let's say if someone cheats on me, but I'm not the type to cheat, then what does that mean?
0: Well, it can sometimes mean we're an old soul who's tolerating someone being abusive. And mm-hmm. that's mirroring our soul. That we're an old soul who's learned certain lessons too well. We've learned to make too many excuses for people. We've learned to forgive too quickly. Old souls forgive the drunk driver with a Mack truck still has the truck on you, we say, oh, I forgive you, I forgive you. No, you, you have to first go to the hospital, heal those bones for years, go through a court system in which you, you, know, you get some liability back here and some compensation, and then you forgive. So what happens is sometimes it's mirroring the fact that we're too good, we're too kind, we're too forgiving, we're too tolerant. Mm. You see, it's mm-hmm. a difference. You know, um, we have to learn to start saying, no more excuses, you're being abusive to me. Or we have to stop rescuing somebody. You know, the, the story of the Beauty and the Beast, I very rarely see the beast, the prince, the, the, the drug addict who becomes the prince. I don't see that often. I see the prince who becomes the beast. <laughs> He starts out really looking good, yeah. and then suddenly, you know, the first couple of months or years, he's really the prince. You know, he, you know he, he's, a, he's a narcissist. He really knows how to reel us in, and, and everything on the surface is perfect, and then we find out he's cheating on us. That may be because we're old souls that don't see evil. We don't see that the person is lying or the person isn't really being truthful. And so it's mirroring the lessons that we perhaps learn too well not to see evil. I mean, I have an expression that if you and I were dining with Mussolini and Hitler in 1944, you would say these are great guys. Mussolini's <laughs> got the trains running on time. Hitler's got the kids boys in school. This is great. We wouldn't see the 60 million skeletons. Uh-huh. We bring out the best in people. So part of it is we've learned certain lessons too well. We've learned to rescue. And what's been channeled to me is we're not to rescue anybody except if the Titanic is sinking. The Titanic sank a big one time. Uh We go get the bodies, we bring them to dry land, and we run. We don't keep rescuing over and over again. So some of those, you might find yourself in a stalemate relationship just because you're too damn nice, okay? Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to learn to be a little less nice, a little bit more protective of ourselves. We have to count. It matters if someone hurts us. Mm-hmm. It matters if they're mean to us. We can't just say, well, he had a hard life, so he can be mean to me. No, he can't be mean. It's right. not acceptable.
1: Right, right, right.
0: So they mirror both the good and the bad of us. Do you know what I mean? Ah, okay. So you have to look at every relationship to see what is it that I was meant to learn or to teach that person. hmm And, you know, so as each relationship, if you could go back, and that's part of my book, go back to every relationship you've ever had and see what was I meant to learn and what was I meant to teach, it's a very, you know, it would really help you move forward.
1: Right. That would take a long time for me. But, yeah uh, and
0: for most people yeah <laughs>
1: uh, okay let 's talk about jealousy, you know oh boy that 's a big monster. How the hell are we ever going to get rid of jealousy because obviously you 're going to be insecure if let 's say your mate has been acting distant lately and then you see him talking to an attractive member of the opposite sex
0: Yeah, well, jealousy is part of our collective unconscious, and all, well, I mean all human beings. right now have some level of jealousy. That's why I place jealousy on a ladder. And this garden-type variety that we all think is normal because everybody has it, Mm -hmm. I would venture to tell you it's not normal, and probably it will take thousands of years for human beings to evolve to where it will not be something we experience. But right now, we have to understand that it is a monster, that jealousy is not about the other person. and One of the most important lessons I can teach somebody is if you're in a marriage and, you, and it's really bad and you want to get out of it and suddenly you're know you you're leaving it and your husband or your, your wife suddenly finds somebody else and you're being replaced, you might feel jealous and you might think, oh, I still love him, I've got to go back with him, I've got to save this marriage.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: No, jealousy has nothing to do with love. It has to do with fear and insecurity. So you're jealous, you might have to understand you've got some issues of your own, of insecurity, but it's not that you still love this person. So don't mistake jealousy with a level of love. Cellmates, what ho- often have pathological jealousy issues. That's why it's so toxic. That doesn't mean they love each other all that much. Mm-hmm. It just means they have real major jealousy issues, and it has to do with self-esteem, insecurity. also has to do with sexual abuse issues. People who have been sexually abused are often can be pathologically jealous, and I'll tell you why. They don't trust you near anybody. If their own mother or father sexually abused them, they don't trust you near anybody—not your mother, not your father, not your brother, not your uncle. Mm. So that's another issue there, and it's a real toxic one. And jealousy, I think, historically, was part, was necessary when we were in cavemen and cave women. We needed to jealously guard over our healthy wife because she would give us healthy children. We needed to jealously guard over our healthy husband because he would bring home the bacon and the food for us. Mm -hmm. So there was a reason we needed to guard over our mate, a healthy mate. But we don't need to sort of guard over at that level. And so if we begin to realize that we can also sometimes use jealousy for good. If you've been taking your mate for granted, your soulmate love's gone down to, you know, sitcom marriage, you might, you know, and all of a sudden somebody's flirting with her husband and, and suddenly they're finding him to be quite attractive, you might say, hmm, I need to pay a little bit more attention to my husband. I need to make love to him and make him feel like he's king or really great. Or if we're suddenly feeling insecure because we've let ourselves get out of shape and we don't look so good and, Some attractive woman's hanging on him. We might say, I need to get myself to the gym. Mm -hmm. I need to, you know, take care of myself and look a little better for myself and for my mate. So it can be used for good, but it's the pathological jealousy that you have to watch out for. That's the real master-slave archetype where the the man or the woman thinks they own you. Mm -hmm. And because they own you, that's where it's really scary. And so we have to overcome. Nobody owns us. We own ourselves. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever been with a pathologically jealous mate, but it's not pretty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was married to a very jealous man. It's part of the reason why, after 29 years of marriage, I divorced him. I couldn't take it. Wow. I mean, he was guarding over me. You know, I couldn't, you know, smile at the mailman. I mean, <gasps> Come on, give me a break here. <laughs> and it was really inhibiting me as a person, oh, and I couldn't do my earth mission no. with that person, you know, with him being so jealous. So, you know, we have to work on our jealousy issues, and I think we all have them. I mean, I have them. I'm not perfect. But we have to realize it's not really healthy. And every time we feel jealous, we have to say, you know, jealousy is about me. Mm -hmm. Why am I so insecure? Or if we have a mate who is cheating on us, well, then, you know, hey, that's not about jealousy. you got a mate who's going to bring you maybe AIDS or or HIV virus or herpes. Maybe it isn't jealousy. Maybe it's self-preservation in that you need to get away from that person. So every single lesson is a little bit different, and that's why in my book there's a thousand, a million lessons, you know, mm-hmm. because only you reading the book at which each relationship will say, oh, that's the lesson I need to learn from this particular relationship.
1: Well, like I find with jealousy, like, you know, if the person has not given me a reason to be insecure or jealous, I'm not. I've been in relationships where, I mean, I had my girlfriend move in with my boyfriend because he needed a roommate, and I had no problem with that, whereas other people, I'm very insecure and jealous because of the way they're behaving.
0: And that's right. And it's a ladder, and it goes up and down. And some people will will push our jealousy buttons more than others. They will. Yeah. And it's up to us to decide, do I want to be with a person who's bringing this, the worst out in me? If it's, if it's bringing out the worst in you, it's now a toxic relationship. And if no matter how you try, you can't fix that, then it's time to walk away. Because mm-hmm. if this person is deliberately doing things to make you jealous or deliberately wants to bring out the worst in you or is, person you can't trust yeah you know and some people can't be trusted and you know i'm a very liberal person if you want to sleep with 900 people by all means sleep with 900 people but please tell all all 900 you're sleeping with them and practice safe sex it's the cake and eat it too that i that has to end you know where men have historically treated cheated on women and women had to tolerate it right you know what i'm saying let's be honest let's be open and uh, you know, if you're a person who can never be monogamous, well, by all means, don't marry or have an or marry a person who wants an open marriage. They mm-hmm. don't mind that you're sleeping with other people. You know, there's a lid for every pot. Right. Just, you know, find the right one for you. But, so I mean, it just seems Look that... at what jealousy is revealing. hmm
1: But it just seems that most guys, I'm going to make a big generalization here, <laughs> most guys do cheat. <laughs>
0: Um, Well, if you think most guys do cheat, you're going to draw up most guys who are going to cheat. Because in the laws of attraction, God will say, if you think most men cheat, well, then (laughs) I'm going to, you know, you're not not saying something. You must believe it. It must be true. So I'm going to keep showing it's true until you finally say there's got to be a better way. Okay. There must be one good man for me.
1: One in 10 million. (laughs)
0: One good man for me, you know, who doesn't cheat. Well, you know, part of it has been the patriarchal cultures, the Spanish, the Italian, have cheated. And, you know, this year I was very blessed to, to channel Martin Luther King of all people because I dedicated one of my own radio shows to him, and it was not all love is created equal. And Martin Luther King came through to tell me he was a very good man. He answered his calling to show that all men are created equal, but he was a bad boy. He cheated on his wife, and he should have said all men and all women are created equal. And he asked me to teach black women and Latino women to stop allowing the men to cheat on, me, on them. And for like a month, all these Spanish women and black women were coming with their men who were cheating for guidance. And he said, who are they cheating with? You know, mostly not with other men, although that's part of it. Mm-hmm. They do cheat with other men. But they're cheating with other women. And we women need to boycott men. And we need to stand together and say, if a man is married, or a man's in a committed relationship, then we can't cheat with him. You've got to end that relationship before we get involved with him. That's right. And that's an important lesson for women to stand together. Mm-hmm. All right. And we'll help,
1: we'll help spread it. <laughs> um, so, well, unfortunately, the interview is over. It was great. Oh, it went so fast. My I goodness. Know. Well, your book's it so really big. I can fast. have you, I can have you back on again because your book's so big. <laughs> it's like two <laughs> books in <and> one. <laughs> um, again, the title is grantmeahigherlove.com. The website of course got Cindy thank you so much for being on thanks really so much for
0: having me and um, and I can't wait to hear uh, within a year that you're gonna have a soulmate love it's coming a year and a half I'll, I'll be sure to let you know okay <laughs> let me know okay And thanks so much again and um, I really love being on your show thanks it was great having you
1: take care bye bye all right well the show is over thank you so much for joining me today And uh, remember, you can read an excerpt from my book at um, lessonsoflove.net. You can send it from my free weekly newsletter at theartoflove.net. And finally, remember that love inspires, empowers, uplifts, and enlightens.
0: You're listening to The Art of Love with your host, Lucia, right here on LA Talk Radio.